while I was still a sinner, Jesus died. Yet still in today's world, we try to prove ourselves to others just to find love, acceptance, and forgiveness. When God says, I don't need you to prove your love to me, live for me. I will prove my love for you. Just live for me. Psalm 18, verses 9 and 19. You know, the Bible says, he parted the heavens and came down. You've heard me say it multiple times over the years that he stepped out of eternity into time. Well, here's the passage. He parted the heavens and came down. And you know what he did? Not only did he come down, he gave you and me the way to come up. He brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. There was a little boy by the name of Johnny who was dying from a sickness, and he was being rocked by a Sunday school teacher. And Johnny asked the Sunday school teacher, Would you sing to me? It always makes me feel good when you sing to me. Well, the novel had just come out, the book had just come out, and all of a sudden, the Sunday school teacher began to sing to little Johnny. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. And a peace came upon the little boy. Well, the profundity of that song extends beyond a simplistic childhood faith. One of the greatest men of God at the turn of the century was a man by the name of Karl Barth. He became one of the most influential theologians, literally pinning thousands and thousands of words exploring the interrelation of faith and theology and culture. See, we're talking about this worldview and we're talking about this Christian view. But I'm getting you back to the simplicity that makes our stand become the view that everyone sees. Well, towards the end of his life, this, this renowned theologian, gave a lecture at the University of Chicago Divinity School. And at the lecture's end, he was asked a question by the students. And the question was this. Dr. Barth, 
what is the greatest theological discovery of your life? Karl Barth sat back and everybody in the room waited with bated breath for the extended and the complex answer that, that would give them some kind of direction in life and some kind of, uh, uh, some kind of answer to the perplexities. He sat back for a moment and paused and smiled. And he said, the greatest theological insight that I have ever had is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. Because the Bible tells me so. Now think about that for a second. The greatest theological mind of that time, so many thought. So there's no greater theological discovery than the fact that Jesus loves me. And this book from Genesis to Revelation articulates it over and over and over. There is a island off the coast of Australia. It's in the Vanadu Islands chain in the South Pacific. And on this island, they began to, to evangelize this island, and they began to bring Christ to this island. And, and the natives' language, they had to understand. They had to get somebody, and they, they found somebody, and they began to learn the language to where they could, they could express the love of Christ. And while they were talking about the love of Christ, they found this island. It's called the Abram Island and you can find it in the Vanadu Islands off the coast of Australia. And as they were <clears throat> talking to them about love, the, the uh, Abram people told them that their native language for love, literally translated, is the heart keeps calling, calling for me. When they talk about love, it's like the heart that I have for my wife. One of the sweetest things that I can hear is her voice. One of the sweetest joys that I could have is her touch. One of the best moments that I have is when we're together. Think about that native language, literally translated. The heart keeps calling, calling for me. There's a heart call between my wife and I. Well, when I was looking at this and I was uh, reading this article about the Ambram people and the language, they also had a word, a term for the love of God. And that language said that its term is the heart callings of God. How that God is always calling. God is always drawing. God is always encouraging. Now think about it from the perspective of how much Jesus loves me. How much Jesus cares for me. J.I. Packer said that when God set his love on man, do you know what God did? He voluntarily bound himself up that his own final happiness would be with yours and mine. When you and I come to Christ, the joy that he has, 
All of heaven, just like that picture of that movie, The Passion, when the, 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 the blood of Jesus dropped off that cross and how the cameras brought it all the way into heaven, you saw that, that teardrop from God's throne room possibly dropping down, showing how much he loves us so much to the point that he gave his very son for us. But also another joy was the joy set before him according to Hebrews that took him to the cross, and that joy was you and I coming to know him. J.I. Packer said he voluntarily bound up his happiness with ours, and he will not know perfect and unmixed happiness again until every one of his children are home with him. I say all of that to take you into this morning's text in Hebrews chapter 4. Since we have a high priest who is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, I don't have time this morning. I will touch on it just briefly, but I don't have time this morning to get in the depths of that statement. Let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. But I'm going to touch on it for just a moment, in just a moment. The scripture goes on to say, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like us, yet without sin. And because of this, it says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may obtain help or, or that we can uh, obtain uh, mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I don't know about you folks, but I have times of need. You say, Pastor, how often? Daily? Maybe if I could be a little more forthright with you, hourly? See, the enemy never stops, ladies and gentlemen. The enemy will never stop assaulting you and I. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12 that night and day he accuses us before the Savior. Night and day. Can anybody say, I know what that's like. But there was something that happened. I mentioned it last week as we began this series that when the Israelites got to the other side, all of heaven rejoiced. But when the angels were asking where God was, because God wasn't in the party, God wasn't rejoicing with all the angels. Michael, the archangel, was asked, where is God? And Michael said, God's over there crying because thousands of those he loved have now perished without him. There is something about God's love that when God loved, love was revealed. When God loved, he loved so much and gave us so much that it wasn't enough just to say he loved. It wasn't just enough to just uh, have an, a, a lamb or a goat or, or any other kind of sacrifices. He loved us so much and he said, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to give my very best for you and for me. When God loved, 
his love was revealed. You know what happens? Most of us spend our entire lifetime looking for love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We try to get it from our families. We try to get it from friends. We try to get it from neighbors. We try to get it from other people that we have or don't have relationships with. You say, Pastor, how, how, do, how do you say that? Very simply, how many of us like it when we're rejected by anybody? Not at all. If we do something, say something, don't do something, don't say something, and you're rejected, how many get a little bit of a cringe inside? Okay, I just want to make sure I see heads shaking out there. You're agreeing with me. I don't want to be alone in this. (laughs) Folks, we like to be accepted. And it doesn't matter if it's God or the world. We want to be accepted. This is why we have this problem with the worldview. Christians are given in because we want to be accepted. We want a place where we don't have to prove ourselves. Well, let me share this with you, folks. Understand, before the world, you will always have to prove yourself. Before the world, you may be okay to get today, but tomorrow, you're going to have to prove yourself again. You might be okay tomorrow, but the next day, you're going to have to prove yourself again. How many know what I'm talking about? But can I tell you that we have a place where we never have to prove ourselves. It's a place like no other place on earth. And you know what that place is called? In God. You see, when God loved, his love was revealed. And let me give you something. I, I, I hopefully left all the scripture references in your notes. But can I tell you, as I take you from the book of Samuel all the way to 1 John, look what it says here. In God, we find our strength. In God, we find our hope. In God, we find our boasting. In God, we find our praise. Oh, yes, God is up there giving you the old attaboy. That's why when you do good before God, you feel good. Don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. I feel good when I do good. That's why even somebody that doesn't know the Lord, when they do good, they feel good. That's why we have this thing called philanthropy. Do you know that people will give hundreds of thousands and millions, even billions probably of money to people for one reason? They want to feel good. Many that don't even acknowledge God. Give, give endlessly because it makes them feel good. You know what that is? That's the attaboy. God said nobody that gives to the poor, nobody that gives, nobody that lifts, nobody that, that encourages will not not receive an attaboy from me. God says even your praises come from me. In God, we find our rejoicing. We find our rest where? In God. It doesn't matter what kind of things are are billowing around you. You can just sit back, open God's word, or maybe just sit back, close your eyes, or maybe do neither. You just stand there. You say, God, and it's like all of heaven stops, and you know, that he's listening. In God, we find trust. 
In God we find deliverance. We find joy. We find faith. And the one thing that I know beyond everything is that whoever lives in love lives in God. And God lives in him. Can somebody say amen? You know why I know all this is true? Because the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me so. And this whole book sets on the revelation that what it says is true, and true is what it says. When God loves, when God loves, his love is revealed. Romans 5, 8 says, he proved his love while we were still sinners. Underline that phrase, would you, in your, in your notes? While we were still sinners, he proved that love. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how much of a lovable sinner I was. Now, I mean, you might have been more lovable. Okay, guys, it's time for true confessions. Ask your wife, was I or wasn't I? Okay, don't, don't please don't get too, well, I, no counseling right now. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died. Yet still in today's world, we try to prove ourselves to others just to find love, acceptance, and forgiveness. When God says, I don't need you to prove your love to me, live for me. I will prove my love for you. Just live for me. Psalm 18, verses 9 and 19. You know the Bible says? He parted the heavens and came down. You've heard me say it multiple times over the years that he stepped out of eternity into time. Well, here's the passage. He parted the heavens and came down. And you know what he did? Not only did he come down, he gave you and me the way to come up. He brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. Think about it. How, how many of you have ever, ever done something like that? You have a little, a little boy or a little girl, and you're trying to communicate with them, and literally you, you stoop down to where they're at. You, you get on their level because you want them to know. You want them to understand, and you want to be understood. So you stoop down to their level to help them better understand. Where sometimes when we're up here and they're down there, all they can see is this giant and, you know, I don't think they can really connect anyway. I know that's kind of funny and it's kind of, but reality, is that not the same way we are with God? God? I mean, the psalmist wrote it this way, who is man that you should even care about him? Yet he parted the heavens and came down. You know why you do that for a child? So 
that you yourself can slow down long enough to get a good understanding of what that child is saying or wanting. And the second thing is because you want that child to clearly understand that you want to relate to them on their level. You want them to know you really, really care. This is what happened 2,000 years ago when he parted the heavens and he stepped down. And he said, you want to know how to live for God? Walk with me. Talk with me. Spend time with me. You say, well, pastor, that was 2,000 years ago. You want to know how to live for God? Walk with me. Talk with me. Spend time with me. In God's word. You see, the Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him as the only begotten son of the Father, full of truth. You want to you spend time with God? Get in his word. You want to spend time with God? Pray. Talk to him. You want to spend time with God? Just sit down and close the lips and open the ears and watch God be God. Can somebody say amen? You see, when God loved, love was revealed. The second thing really quick, when God loved, look what it says. He made up his mind. He wasn't changing it. You mean Pastor, I mean, I gave my life to Christ, and I've sure blown it. Am I talking to anybody besides me? When God loved, he made up his mind. He loves you. He loves you. He loves me. This I know. Well, how do you know? The Bible tells me so you you your feelings might tell you different your emotions might tell you different your friends might tell you different but can i tell you i have a friend who sticks closer than a brother his name is jesus and he told me i love you can somebody get excited in god's house you see when god loved god made up his mind you say, well, but pastor, does God really know me? Folks, he knows you better than you know yourself. I remember a mom was talking to her little daughter one time. And, she, and he, mom told the daughter, said, say, honey, you need to just live correctly. You know, Jesus is watching you. He is watching you. And the little girl said, well, I'm playing outside. Jesus says, yes, you need to play right with your little brother. You mean when I'm, when I'm doing things in, in, in my bedroom all by myself? Yes, he knows. And then she looked around and she said, even in the bathroom? I'll leave that to your thoughts. God made up his mind. Psalm 103 says, like the Lord is a father to his children tender, compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows we're weak. He knows we're weak. Last week we talked about that passage when Jesus was in Gethsemane and he came back to the disciples and he said, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, there is nothing, ladies and gentlemen, that you can do to make God loves you more. 
And there is nothing that you and I can do to make God love us less. His love is impartial, it's unconditional, it's everlasting, it's infinite, it is complete. There is a gentleman of some wealth and high social position who had taken ill and was troubled. And I want you to listen to me, because I've talked to some of you right here in this room that could be this man I'm talking about. Wealthy, not wealthy, makes no difference. Social position no so, makes no difference. You're still in a relationship as this man I'm talking about. He was troubled about the little love that he found in his heart for God. He started complaining bitterly to a Christian brother who was his, uh, a man that he had befriended. And the Christian man sat down and told the person who was dealing with this little love in his heart, he said, let me tell you something. When I leave here today, I will go home, and the first thing I will do is I will call to my little girl, and I'll place her on my knee, and I'll look into her sweet eyes, and i listen to her charming prattle. And as tired as I am, her presence will give me rest. For I love my child with resolute tenderness. And then he broke into these words. He said, but the fact is, she loves me little. If my heart were breaking, it wouldn't disturb her sleep. If my body were racked in pain, it would not interrupt her, pay, her play. If I were dead, She'd be amused in watching my pale face and closed eyes. But when it come time for my burial, she'd probably clap her hands in glee and in two or three days totally forget her father. So because of this, or besides this, she's never brought me a penny. But she has been a constant expense to me since the day she was born. Yet, Though I am not rich, there is not enough money in the world to buy my baby. How is it? The man asked the other gentleman. Does she love me? Or do I love her? Do I begin to withhold my love until she shows that she loves me? Am I waiting for her to do something worthy of my love? before I extend that love to her? Immediately the man who he was talking to with tears rolling down his face, he said, I, 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 I see, I, I, I see what you're saying. I can see clearly it is not my love to God, but it's God's love to me that I should be focused on. Not how much I love him, but how much he first loved me. While I was still a sinner. Not by works of righteousness that I have done, but according to his mercy. Can I ask you something? In this whole worldview, it's all based on what you do for them. It's all based on what you can give. 
It's all based on what you have given, have done. It is a success scenario. But the kingdom of God is all based on what he has done. Why do we get caught up in this worldview and focus so much on our littleness instead of so much consider God's almightiness? We grieve at the weakness of our love when we should, we should revel in the greatness of God's love. The Bible tells, herein is love, not that I loved him, but that he first loved me. Can somebody say amen? amen. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Folks, when I don't feel it, when I don't have it in some kind of intellectual capacity or emotional uh, rending, I can still confidently sit down and say, he has made up his mind and he's not going to change his mind for anybody how much he loves me. <laughs> he loves me. He knows me, and he's not going to change his mind. And it's not. We sin that grace might abound. No. It's that God understands where we are, where we've been, what we're doing. But God focuses his love on what he's done. I so love the world, he says, that I gave my only begotten son. There's some other scriptures there that I'm not going to read right now. Thank you. But I'm going to read a story, or share a story, actually, about one of the greatest discoverers. His name was Nansen. Frederick Nansen. In 1893, he was exploring the Arctic Ocean, trying to find out the depths of this mysterious place covered in ice. He would go there year after year to try to find this discovery. Well, he would go to the Arctic Ocean with a long measuring line, which is how they did at the turn of the century. He would go to this with this long measuring line, and he would drop the measuring line as far as he had in his possession. And his record recorded that year, deeper than that. He would come back again at a later date, and he would add line and he would once again drop the line, drop the line until it got all the way to the end and still not reach the bottom. And his next note in his journal said, deeper than that. Week after week, month after month, he would go back and he would get more line and he would work and he would try to find the depths of the ocean. Each time he fastened all the lines together and he put it all down until it came to the end of his line. Still not the depths of his measuring. And the last note in Nansen's records, deeper than that. He left without knowing the depths of the Arctic Ocean. At that point, 
except that it was deeper than he could measure. Let me talk about the love of God. The Bible says that God transcends all knowing. You may have a young child whose love may be growing, a son or a daughter, a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, parents or children's. It might be the patriot of the century. Even a Christian knowing God. But in each, de- in each case, trying to measure the depths of God's love will always fall short because we're doing it in our human capacity. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a world that is trying to crush our understanding of God's love. Trying to put the understanding of God's love in a box. And can I tell you, for each measuring line, they fall short. They fall desperately short. Even adding all the greatness and majesty they can possibly come up with the world's love, they fall desperately short of measuring the depths of God's love. Can I tell you what the Bible says? The depths of God's love was found when he sent his only son to die. We might look to the world. We might look to someone else. And they will put love in this box. God will always put his love on a cross. Said that's how much. You see, when God loved, our hope was secured. And at Calvary, his heart was measured. As the worship team comes, there is no place in God's word where God puts a criterion on your actions or mine to prove or deserve his love. Rather, he continually reminds us of his mercy, of his grace, of his love. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. Paul is concluding the eighth chapter of Romans. And he begins it with these simple words, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, after the world, that don't try to measure up to the world's view, but they walk after Christ. That man, that woman, that child, there is no condemnation to those who are saying, God, I just want to live in the depths of your love. I want to live in the arms that will never let go the hold on me. I want to live in that place called in God. I want to be the man. I want to be the woman. I want to be the child that doesn't have to bow down under the condemnation of what they say, what he say, what she say. I want to know, God, what do you say? And you said, here is love. Not that you love me, but that I love you. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 9 says, I am convinced, Paul's writing to the church at Rome, that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Just like... Frederick Nansen, as he is measuring the Arctic Ocean, all he could do is come back 
with the line pulled back in and saying, it's deeper than that. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll never get to the full understanding of the depths of God's love until we look to Calvary. And whenever your eyes are covered or marred, life is frustrating or perplexing, whenever you do, all you've got to do is look back and say, okay, God, I see what you did at Calvary, and I know what you said in your word. So I stand on the fact that Jesus loves me because your Bible tells me. And I'm not going to waver. Paul said nothing can separate me from God's love. And then he went right to the depths of our understanding. And he said, death cannot. He went to the, the final end. He said, death can't separate me. The one thing that the enemy holds over top of us our mortality. Jesus said, don't worry. Because death is just the comma of life. When you're in God, it's not a problem. You go to sleep in this world and you wake up in mine. Praise the Lord. Death can't. And then he says something that I want us to grab as I'm talking about this worldview and this Christian view. He says, life can't separate me. He said, the world is trying to pull every one of us. That's why 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things of the world. For any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love both. He said, as long as you stay in me, life can't even separate you. Then he goes on and says, angels won't. All the powers of hell itself cannot keep you from God's love. Your fears about today, your worries about tomorrow, where you are, where you were, where you're going. God said, my thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. High above the sky or the deepest depth of the ocean. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is demonstrated through the Lord Jesus Christ when he died for you and me. God's love, folks, is deeper than that. And that's what he wants you to know. Jesus loves me. And I know it. Not because I feel it. Not because I think it. Because God's word confirms it. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding. 
From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.